Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Juice? Brent says yes. Well, it all fits beautifully with the message for today. Because, y'all, I just got here. And there are a couple things I'm going to say in advance of that. Because it's all really pertinent. First of all, this sign here. You might have seen my Facebook post. And we've been promoting, we were promoting, the uh, Outer Circle charity golf tournament and Hope Church was one of the whole sponsors and uh, this event was on Thursday at the Bears Best Golf Course in Swanee and I tell you Buffy uh, is here Buffy Christine so up oh, there she is in the back Matt's in out of town in New Jersey Matt and Buffy are helping us with our security and safety plan here but uh, this is their outer circle uh, nonprofit foundation and thanks to the sponsorship of Hope Church and the generosity of others $50,000 was raised to help provide uh, therapy dogs and service dogs for, uh, for first responders, veterans, those who have PTSD, as well as uh, people who have medical needs. And it's a near and dear thing to our heart because our family, we lived in that world for a while. We were actually in the process of uh, trying to get Mia a medical dog, service dog, for her seizures and her um, autism. And, uh, of course, that didn't work out. But I was just amazed to see all of the the dogs and the love that was there. Uh, and the other thing that I want to mention, uh, not necessarily pertaining to why I was running late this morning, we'll get to that in a minute, thanks to our uh, local five-star uh, eatery over here, uh, <laughs> is uh, this, such a, this is such a great representation of the kingdom of God, the church. It is so true. When I think about the generosity of uh, things like helping people who need help with service dogs, but also helping an organization that's near and dear to uh, our hearts. When I think about all of us gathering here from different places all over the world, different experiences, different preferences, different likes, different loves, I know for a fact that we have Braves fans in here who are maybe a little slower rolling this morning, but we probably also have some Phillies fans that are on top of the world, right? I know that we have some Tennessee volunteer fans that are on top of the world. And we have some Alabama fans that aren't. We have some Georgia fans that are on top of the world. And maybe feeling a little apprehensive about November 5th. If not before, based on what happened with Alabama yesterday. The reality is that all of us have these different interests and different cares and different wants and different loves and different likes and different desires. And we can all come into one room... And worship the same God. Singing the same psalms. Same songs. Listening to the same message. Even though we come from different points of view. And different places. We all can come and worship. Our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. And isn't that such a beautiful representation. Of heaven. Is that even though we may. In our unity. Find differences. The reality is. That when we come. And we put our focus on God. All that other stuff. 
has a tendency to find its place where it belongs. And in honesty, when we think about national championships and World Series trophies and things like that, those are the crowns the Apostle Paul referred to that will tarnish, that will fade, but the crown of Christ endures forever. And so may we never forget that as we come and remember what it is that we are doing. But I, uh, I was indeed running a little bit late this morning, partially because um, I got sick on Wednesday with a stomach virus. And it was grotesque. And I'm still a little weak. You know how sometimes we have a really nasty stomach virus that lingers for a few days. And then this morning, my dearly beloved bride came down with it. And so it's just been one of those, one of those mornings and one of those days. And then, like I said, uh, I, I decided to stop by one of our five-star eateries to pick up my breakfast this morning, McDonald's. Uh, and they took all of the care and the concern uh, that a restaurant of its quality does. And it took me 30 minutes to get my order uh, of an egg McMuffin and orange juice uh, and some hash browns. So if you'll indulge me, I'm going to uh, just in- sample my, my breakfast as I go through the morning here so that we can all enjoy uh, our time here together as we dig into the next installment of Scary Bible. Thank you, Narvel. All right, so last week when we started our Scary Bible series, we talked about how there are times and seasons, and this October one is one of those that we tend to enjoy and appreciate to get a little scared, right? If you grew up in the South, maybe you don't know what I said, but I said scared, right? We like to get a little scared uh, because we like the feeling of being in a controlled environment, knowing that everything ultimately will be okay. Uh, so we enjoy some of those scary moments. And so it's important for us also to experience what's called the excitation transfer theory, that there are times when we approach some of those things that are hard, that are scary, that are difficult, that challenge us, that try us, and then we can accomplish them. And it gives us a sense of mastery and completion. When I was in my counseling studies, we talked about systematic desensitization. And that's about approaching some of the things that worry us, that bother us, that scare us a little bit, finding some mastery, finding some confidence, and then moving forward just a little bit, one step at a time to realize that some of these things that scare us don't really hold any long-term power over us. But when we begin to think about our eternal security, our faith, our hope, our eternal life, there are some things that perhaps we invert with that. Sometimes we find uh, a disproportionate sense of comfort going through life in this world without really truly giving thought to what it is that God is calling and asking for us. And when we dig into some of those parts of the Bible, parts of the scripture that are very, very challenging for us, we can just kind of write them off and say, oh, you know, I don't know that I'm going to worry too much about that. I just want to, you know, love Jesus all day long. Well, that's great. We all should love Jesus all day, every day. But there are also calls as a part of that to be set apart. That's what Jesus talked about. And so last week when we began our series, we talked about how as humans, we exchange the truth for a lie. In other words, we exchange the teaching of God in some of those areas that challenge us, that are worrisome for us, for our comfort, exchanging the truth for a lie. Now, the lie that was referred to last week was speaking specifically about two things. Thinking that we can live apart from a connectedness to God 
And as a result of that, the second part is we end up worshiping the created or the creation as opposed to the creator. And what happens as a result of that is it turns into idolatry. Now, last week, we kind of glanced over idolatry. It was there. It was woven all throughout. And it's going to show up in each of our installments in our Scary Bible 2 message series because of what happens with idolatry. This week's message is entitled A Corrupted Culture. And this is another one of those areas where we can, if we are not careful find our comfort level displaced and a disproportionate amount of comfort into an area where we can become so full of ourselves to think we don't have to worry about responding to Jesus in the way that he asked us to to respond to him. Are you following me? We can get too too comfortable in our comfort. Now, the scriptures where Jesus says, come and take a rest with me. Let me show you how to live. All that stuff is right. All that stuff is true. But we, it also carries with it a counterbalance. Things like when Jesus says, go and sin no more. Where the scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us who was righteous. No, not even one. But again, it is counterbalanced with the reality that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a balance that we have to find, have to strike there. Because every single one of us is a sinner. And if you think you are not a sinner, then that says an awful lot about the level of sin in your life. Right? All of us have fallen short. Is there anyone in here who has, at any point in your life, thought that you could go about living your life apart from a connection with God? Or is there any one of us who have begun to love things so much in our lives, whether it's uh, our job or even people or sports teams and things like that, that it begins to rise to the level of idolatry in our lives? Every single one of us have. And this is where the corrupted culture comes into, speaking specifically to those of the faith. Now, when the scripture talks about corruption, we see a couple different ways that we can look at. I want to focus primarily on one. Jesus talks a little bit about yeast and how Yeast can enter into a dough and it causes it to rise, right? We're not talking about a whole lot here, just a little tiny bit of yeast. And Jesus talked about yeast even in sense of something that is kind of good, right? We want our bread to rise. I used low-carb bread yesterday to make French toast and it was completely adequate, right? It wasn't great. It was completely adequate, but we were out of that nice, spongy, pillowy bread that I like to make my French toast with. Right? Yeast helps to perform some of those actions. But Jesus talked about you've got to be careful about the little bitty things that you allow in because they can get in and they can expand. And before you know it, they've taken over. And Jesus speaks about that in terms, in a parallel to corruption. Those things, the little bitty things that we allow into our lives that have a tendency to grow. And before we know it, We are outside of God's will. We are trying to live apart from our connectedness to God. And the things that we end up liking and we end up loving become idolatrous. And it's something that every single one of us have to deal with. Am I wrong? Please tell me I'm not wrong. Okay, I'm not wrong. Thank you. And so we have to deal with this corruption in culture. But I also want us to think beyond just what corruption is to what culture is. And I have a definition on the screen. Culture is the way of life, behaviors, beliefs, values, and symbols that people accept generally without thinking about them and pass along from one generation to the next. That's a very good definition of culture, right? It's the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we believe, even now the foods that we eat. And how all of these things get 
part, become part of our experience in life, and they become part of our understanding of the way that the world works, and we pass these along. We sometimes call these things traditions, right? Like the things that we eat this time of year. Uh, I'm all about the candy corn. I'm all about uh, the chocolate-covered peanut butter and stuff, right? The cultural traditions and things. But these haven't always been the case. It used to be that trick-or-treating was about fruit. Doesn't that sound disappointing, right? And so we, we think about how our culture has created these ideas. And so when you think about the ways of life, the behaviors, the beliefs, the values, and the symbols, the things that we accept, generally without having to think about them and we pass them along from one generation to the next, can you see a place or a point where just a little bit of yeast, if you will, or corruption has gotten in and has spread and it's caused us to lose sight of what our primary connection is? Of course, as many different peoples are in the room, as many different preferences, as many different places where we come from, places where we're going, things we talked about in the very beginning, there is corruption that is apart and akin to all of it. This is not unique to us, friends. This is not unique to us at all. This was part of our Beatitudes message series, the sin, and that point being that we always think the world revolves around us. And the reality is, is that it doesn't. And as the, if the world is not revolving around us, then as the Ecclesiastes says, there really isn't anything new under the sun. We experience them differently, but the things that we experience really truly are pretty similar to the things that we've been experiencing as humans for millennia, right? And so I think this gives us some help as we encounter some of the things that can scare us and cause us to wonder what in the world are we to do? And so our Bible passage this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, and so, and when Ezekiel's talking here, he's speaking specifically about Jerusalem in the country of Judea. And he's speaking about the corruption that has infiltrated the place where God's temple was built, the place where God was expected to live. And of course, God didn't spare Jerusalem from any of the horrors and things that come when a culture shifts so dramatically away from God's way. They connect things other than to God. And as a result, that corruption creates idolatry. And so we see how Ezekiel, receiving a message from God and relaying it to God's people, brings up a situation from history that was probably quite jarring for those who were hearing the message. And so we're, we're going to see how God, relaying to Ezekiel, relaying to God's people, speaks about the horrors of Sodom. Ooh, scary. Believe me, it's probably not nearly as scary for you as it is for me. But here we go, okay? We can't avoid it. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 46 through 50, verse 60 and verse 63. This is God to Jerusalem being relayed through Ezekiel. Your younger sister was Sodom, who lived with her daughters in the south. But you have not merely sinned as they did. You quickly surpassed them in corruption. Now, what did God do to Sodom? He destroyed it. To go into my southern act, he blowed it up, right? Rained down hellfire and brimstone. He destroyed Sodom. And as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, Sodom and her daughters were never as wicked as you and your daughters now listen to this. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins. 
If you need to know what those detestable sins are, we can talk after worship. So I wiped her out as you have seen, yet I will remember the covenant I made with you when you were young, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. And then hear this verse. You will remember your sins and cover your mouth in silent shame when I forgive you of all that I have done. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Anybody convicted? I am. You know what Sodom's detestable sin was, right? But God said that wasn't the source of the destruction of Sodom, was it? The challenge here comes because we can import ourselves into what we know was detestable about Sodom while ignoring the things that really caused those problems. Politicians refer to root causes as a way to try to ignore the actual problem, but what we see here is that the root problem cannot be ignored. And this is one of those areas of conviction that when Jerusalem is hearing themselves compared to Sodom, I'm sure they had to say, what? Any different Strokes fans in here? What you talking about? Right? Comparing us with, with Sodom. How dare you, Lord? Well, Sodom was despicable, detestable. I'm just a little pride, gluttonous, and lazy. Is that so wrong? Bringing in Urkel from Family Matters. Can I do that? So what were Sodom's sins? We see here it's pride, gluttony, and laziness. Meaning the detestable sins of Sodom and Gomorrah too were derivative of pride, gluttony, and laziness. It comes down to obedience because they knew better. Now part of the story here about Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham and Lot deals with how Abraham and Lot viewed their place in the world differently. With Abraham, he was, as we might say from the book of John and Romans, he was in the world but not of the world. Abraham was on a journey, he was on a mission, and yet he did not want to give himself over to the culture. He was set apart, which is a word that we know that means awesome and holy and things that God wants for all of us. Lot, on the other hand, became in the world and of the world. He liked the culture. Now, there were things he was trying to do while he was a part of the culture to get them to not be so detestable. But the difference was between Abraham and Lot was that Abraham refused to give himself over to it. And Lot was just trying the best that he could to make the best of it while he was there in the middle of it. I.e., he allowed a little bit of yeast into his experience of life and the corruption began to spread. So much so that when the warnings came for them to leave because terror was going to be rained down from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham left. And Lot's like, I want to leave, but I don't want to go too far because I rather like where I am. It didn't work out so well for them. Abraham and Lot had to deal with corruption and how they were to allow the things within their lives to corrupt them. They were given a warning by God. They were given 
direct instructions about what to do, and they chose to do or not do based on what it was that they allowed into their hearts and minds and soul. And so we end up finding a word called disobedience that becomes awful relevant in this situation, don't we? And the reality is, is that delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Now, obedience can come in several different ways, right? It, there's a time component to it. It's like if I were to tell my son to go clean his room, but I don't tell him to go clean his room right now, right? It's like, son, just get your room clean, right? I don't want to have to come in and take out your dirty dishes and, you know, all that other stuff. Just get your room clean. But if I say, get your room clean now, what's the expectation to go get the room clean now? There's also an expectation when it comes down to the willingness to perform the task that was given to us. If my son were to go down there and he were to, uh, to curse me and mumble and grundle under his breath about having to clean up his room? Uh, Is that an obedience that really pleases daddy's heart? No, it doesn't. And so delayed obedience or grumpy obedience isn't obedience at all. But if we have the spirit that says, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, when God wants me to do it, as God wants me to do it, that obedience is what pleases the father, right? Pleases God. And so delayed obedience is disobedience. But why is it that we sometimes allow ourselves to be given over to disobedience? Why is it that we disobey? Well, I'm glad that you asked because God's condemnation on Psalm and on Jerusalem, sorry, God's condemnation on Jerusalem gives us some cues and some clues into what it is and how it is that God dealt with delayed obedience with the wrong timing and the wrong attitude. Why is it that we disobey? The first reason that we see from our passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, Ezekiel, is pride, right? The next slide, pride. I, I shouldn't have to. I'm above that. Right? I shouldn't have to obey. The rules don't apply to me. I shouldn't have to. Anyone in here ever said, I shouldn't have to follow that? Maybe we even coax it in a little comfortable Christianity. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, I shall dabble in this sin. Because God's going to forgive me. All I got to do is dabble a little bit. And that's for a whole heap and amount of forgiveness. Book of Romans talks about this when he's when Paul says, Well, if sin activates God's grace, doesn't it make sense for me to just sin all the more so I can receive all the more grace? We would like to say, Yes, that makes perfect sense. But did God say, No, you're missing the point. It's about cleansing you of your disobedience and your waywardness and calling you into that heart of God so that we can find God is our connectedness and not succumb to our sinfulness and allow it to become idolatry in our lives. You see how this all connects? Pride says, I shouldn't have to. Gluttony says, well, someone else should do it for me, which leads to the third one, laziness. I get around to it. I get around to it. Which leads me to my breakfast. I knew on Wednesday, even while I was sick, and on Thursday, that I was going to need to have breakfast today. And I went and had a great time at the golf tournament praying and meeting people and hopefully sharing a little hope. I was still pretty weak. I didn't really start getting my energy back until yesterday. And I'm still feeling a little bit queasy. And so yesterday I just decided instead of really focusing a whole lot on my 
on my message that I was going to enjoy the gifts of baseball and football and then Netflix. And I'd get around to making sure that all of my notes and things were ready first thing this morning. And again, because I couldn't quite get the Braves post-mortem off my mind or my exuberance over how the Bulldogs did yesterday, I, I didn't ha- have, have breakfast at home. And then I went on my iPad to look at my notes, and I realized that it was the rough draft copy of my sermon notes. I didn't have my sermon notes there. I was like, well, you know, I'm still going to have to get in my walk today because my walk is absolutely critically important for my brain. Uh, so I said, I'll, I'll go ahead and go have a walk. And I was going to cut a little short, and then I realized I wasn't quite meeting my goals, and I had to extend my walk a little bit. Next thing you know, it's, it's really about time for me to leave, and I still haven't been able to have my breakfast. I still don't have my notes, uh, and I haven't gotten everything done yet. And I realized because I was sick, I wasn't here Wednesday, and therefore had not updated the app. And so everything... All of a sudden, was crashing in at once. So I go to, uh, again, that five-star restaurant right around the house. We called it McDoons, right? It's French for McDonald's, right? McDoons. And then I ordered an Egg McMuffin meal. And because it took so long, there were two people ahead of me, uh, but they were cooking to order. I mean, like going out into their grass-fed, raised pasture behind them and, and harvesting the eggs and stuff. And so uh, they, they were back there working. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure they were uh, kneading and, uh, and they were rolling out the dough and things for the, for the English muffin. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not going to make it on time. And I text the staff and say, hey, y'all, I'm, I'm coming, but I'm stuck in the dunes. Uh, and uh, I'm still waiting uh, to pick up everything. But I, so I haven't had a ch- chance to ha- get my breakfast yet. I haven't updated the app. Uh, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I haven't printed out my notes. I got a ton of stuff to do for our information session tonight. And I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world am I going to get through this? And I start getting kind of angry. And I even got angry because, you know, McDonald's is still doing that promotion about when the Braves win, you get some kind of frozen cook, whatever. And I was like, I'm not going to get a frozen cook today. Anyway, so uh, I just decided I was just going to, I was... Literally, this is what, literally what I did, I, uh, because I'm trying to fast again from the news. It was becoming an idol for me. I was going to talk about that, but, you know, here you get it anyway. Uh, and, and so I was thinking, you know, I, what I'm going to end up just doing is um, I'm going to listen to the Bible. And so um, I literally listened to the book of Galatians while I waited on my breakfast. I am not kidding. Uh, and then I got through um, Philippians, and I started Colossians by the time I finally got here. And so I'm not going to have time to eat my Egg McMuffin uh, or my wonderful hash brown potatoes, right? Uh, so I'm just going to have to find a way to get all this in first because i got to make sure I get my app updated. i got to make sure I get my sermon notes prepared. Uh, and so next thing you know, it's like everything is rushing me. Uh, and so you can't have uh, a good breakfast without orange juice to wash it down. And you know me, you know how I love my coffee. And so uh, I didn't have an opportunity to get my second cup of coffee. Uh, but, but bear in mind, you know, I, I did, I did uh, read all the articles about the Braves choking in Philadelphia. Uh, I finally got all of my notes updated and printed. I finally got the app updated, but friends, I'll be honest with you, um, it was while Gwen was talking. So you could open up your app now and see all the updates. And so what I figured is I was going to have to do was, um, uh uh-oh, this is not working like it's supposed to. See, I didn't even have a chance to test my illustration. Please work, y'all. Okay, so I decided the best thing for me to do was just because I'd been so disobedient so far, just to try to get it all in at once, right? To get it all done at once. And so I decided I was going to make me an Egg McMuffin, hash brown, orange juice, and coffee smoothie. That way I can get it all done at one time uh, and not have to worry about how my disobedience led me to this. Now, the thing that's going to be the cherry on top is really the Canadian bacon and the cheese. So um, I I want you all to share my breakfast with me. And so, um, here we go. 
the texture is worse than the taste, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but I got it all in. So there's my breakfast. I got time to, to finish this before the month's out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That, that wasn't real. But pride. I shouldn't have to do all that stuff. Gluttony. I should make somebody else do it. Laziness. I get around to it. The reality is oftentimes those things God asks of us and expects of us come anyway. And we keep putting them off. And we keep playing as though we're above it. Someone else should have to do it for us or I get around to it. Ultimately, we have to deal with what God wants us to deal with and it becomes a disgusting mess. And if anyone has any doubt, I really did drink that. It was awful. Which leads us to the idea that even sometimes when we think we're doing a good thing or even the right thing, if we're not doing the best thing, And if we're not doing God's thing, we are engaging in sin. We may be free from the penalty of sin, which is death and separation from God. But are we free from the consequence of sin? My magic bullet full of my McDonald's smoothie and what's happening in my gut right now um, is pretty quick to say, no. We may be free from the penalty of sin, but we're not free from the consequences of sin. This is what Jerusalem realized God was speaking to them. And that's what you and I need to realize as well. That if we get too comfortable in our Christian faith and we're taking God's grace for granted and we're thinking that the stuff that we like isn't, excuse me, going to end up come up and, you know, coming up. Um, it's, it's we're, we're wrong. What ends up happening with this is that in our pride and our gluttony and our laziness, We can hear some of the messages of Jesus when we think about those in the world who we want to refer to as sinners. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a little quick parable about the tax collector and the Pharisee, right? And the Pharisee is the one who says, thank goodness I'm not like the tax collector, right? And so they're pointing out some of other people's gluttony and other people's idolatry, other people's laziness, other people's pride. Thank goodness I'm not like that. But what in the reality is it? They are revealing their own pride, their own gluttony, their own laziness. And then Jesus brings us back around again a little bit later when he's talking about those who are casting judgment on other people in their sinfulness. And he said, before you go to worry about the speck in your brother's eyes, take out the railroad tie or the two by four that's in your own. You realize that when Jesus was preaching and teaching, the sin that he condemned the most was self-righteousness. That's what he condemned the most. And how often are we so self-righteous and thinking with pride, with gluttony, or laziness that I get around to it. And that ends up causing detestable sin. Last week in Romans 1, we talked about those sins and how they are the result of us turning away from our connectedness to God. How they are the result of us beginning to worship the creation as opposed to the creator. But if there is any hope in Ezekiel 16, and there's tons of it, 
It comes back to God's promise to restore. Restoration doesn't always come on our terms, does it? Ask Job, ask Sodom. But what God was speaking to Jerusalem and what God speaks to you and me, thanks to the power and the presence of Christ, is that the promise to restore is based on God's character and his nature and not yours. Is that good news? Yes, because our nature is contained in here, right? This is our nature. Our nature is to think that through pride and through gluttony and through laziness, we can accomplish anything that we want. We can be in the world and like lot. We can be of the world. We don't have to be separate from it. And then when we see other people who live differently from us, even though they're every bit as guilty of the pride and the gluttony and the laziness, we can say, thank goodness I'm not like them. And whatever that them is, that's not God's nature. God looks at every single one of us and says, all have fallen short. All are sinful. But all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that beautiful? Some people say that this is exclusive. It's not. It's the most inclusive It's the most inclusive of all the religions, and therefore I believe it's true, that Jesus says, all of you are sinful, and I died for all of you, and I will save all of you. Turn to me. We see this in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and do what? Restore their land. Now, when God pronounced that, this was at the consecration of the temple. They had not fallen to the extent that they would fall yet. And God is telling them this. You're going to slip. You're going to fall. But if you humble yourself, if you will pray and you will seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, I'm going to hear and I will forgive and I will restore. God was speaking to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. But the context is relevant for all of us. That if you do what God told the people of Jerusalem to do, humble yourself. Don't be pride. Pray. Don't be arrogant. And seek the face of God, turn from your wicked ways. God's going to hear and will forgive and will restore. And then we see this in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God through Christ. Again, it's based on God's character, God's nature, not yours, not mine, not our neighbor's. Not our spouses, not our kids, grandkids, grandparents, whatever. Even the pastor, leadership, or staff at the church. It's all done through Christ. And so, we see these examples in these two verses. Humble yourself. Pray to God. Seek God's face. Turn away from your wicked ways. God's going to hear. And thanks to who he is in Christ Jesus He is going to take our sins and present it as an offering so that we can be made right with God through Christ, not through self. And so when we think about the difficulties of messages like pride and gluttony and laziness and the the detestable sins that come as a result and God's longing and promise to restore, we need a little hope and help, don't we? I got it for you. Yes, God is going to convict you of your sin. When we say convict, that doesn't mean like in a court of law. 
where God's going to find you guilty because you already are. But what he means by convict is to call into your heart and say, I need you to turn away from that. Humble yourself. Pray to me. Seek my face. Turn away from that. And realize that through Christ, I want to make you new. I want to restore you and restore your hope and restore your faith. So God is going to convict you of sin. Again, not declaring you guilty, but to declare you guilty so he can restore you and make it right. We must know better. James 4.17, that's one of those verses that really gets me. We talked about it last year. Is it is a sin to know what to do and not do it. Right? Even when we are doing good things. Are we doing great things? Are we doing God's things? We must know better and then act on it. And when we act, we turn to our third point. It is our actions not that save us, but our actions that show to us and show to, wor- show to the world that God's restoration is a complete and a total one. This should not make followers of Christ arrogant or gluttonous or lazy in the faith, should it? It should activate our faith. It should make us humble, not proud. It should make us generous, not gluttonous. It should make us loving, not lazy, because of who Christ is is in us. This is the promise of God's restoration. This is the hope of what happens when we exchange the lie for truth. And we say, God, I am guilty of idolizing even good things. Forgive me. Restore me. Give me the hope of Jesus. And I say right here, right now, I humble myself in your name. I pray to you. I seek your face, not the goodies in your paws or your hands. Palms is what I meant. Palms. And I turn from my wicked ways. Heal me, restore me, deploy me. Not to be proud, but to be humble. Not to be gluttonous, but to be generous. And not to be lazy, but to be loving. All in the name of Jesus. And he's the one that's going to deal with this kind of stuff. And offer us the bread of life and the living water. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will have their fill. If you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior... To reveal to you where you are proud and gluttonous and lazy. May today be that time. If you receive that invitation and that offer days or decades ago. And got off the path. Today is a day where you can get back on it. And when you get back on it. You can continue to live in the glory of Jesus forever. Or you're just unsure. And your life feels like what is contained more in this than what was in this. I want to promise you, you're in good company. But there's hope because this is the mess of life that Jesus says, come to me and I will help you clean it all up. And give you the grace and the peace to activate your faith, to direct your hope and motivate you in love. 
to be a change agent in the world. Will you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the reality of how so frequently, even in our best attempt at living a life of faith, that we can become arrogant and start to think that the sins that we have in our lives are not detestable to you, and they do not lead to other things. Forgive us, because that leads directly to gluttony. We think that other people owe us something. We think that other people are responsible for making our life of faith work for you. And we find ourselves lazy, putting off the things that we know that we need to do, even when we're doing good things, but not doing the great things, not being true to who we are in you. And so, Lord, reveal to us our pride that we may find your humility. Reveal to us our gluttony that we may find your generosity. Reveal to us our laziness that we may be activated and motivated to live in love to help those around us see the world differently. And Lord, in those times when we look at those around us and we beat our chests or we notice the specks that in their eyes, forgive us again for our tendency towards self-righteousness and help us, almighty God, to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek, to turn, and in that turning, find our restoration and our salvation in you. It's not going to come anywhere else. And so, Lord God, help us. And help us realize you've already sent us the help. I ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. And amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for him. And we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.